Hi, I'm Christine Dorr, owner of Neococo. And I'm Tammy Tan, owner of Spice Hound. And we are co-owners of Kitchen 519, our commercial rental kitchen in the San Francisco Bay Area. Welcome to Lettuce Wrap, the podcast about food, food business, and the people who work in the industry. Today, we have Mark Priestley from Yummy Artisan Foods in. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. <laughs> Hi, Christine. Hi, Tammy. So we want to talk a little bit about your background. You want to tell us how you got into, or how do you start Yummy Artisan Foods? Well, so if you bear with me, it's a little bit of a torturous path, but I have a very eclectic background. So many, many years ago, um, I actually got a degree in mathematics and computer science, totally unrelated to foods, but it allowed me in the door of uh, a great company called Hewlett Packard, because in those days, they only hired people who were engineers. I worked uh, selling big computers for them for uh, a while, and then they decided they were going to move into a new field of personal computers. So I had an opportunity to join the team that was actually developing their first personal computer. Um, I had a chance to do uh, a lot of traveling, and uh, I got to see different parts of the world. And every place I went, one of the things I would do is sample the foods. had a chance to taste some amazing foods from all these different countries and all these different ethnic origins. And it went from being something I did just as part of my travels to a real hobby. My wife and I actually would find ourselves, instead of going to a movie, we would actually go to a cooking class. And it kind of, over time, moved from just a hobby to something on the weekends, uh, either for ourselves or for others. We'd be always exploring new dishes, trying to cook at home, and really trying to, to use that as a way to, to share with friends. It kind of led me to a situation where once I was standing in a store looking at an aisle full of different olive oils and looking at this aisle which with these these bottles from floor to ceiling of these different shape bottles different designs different prices and having no idea what to get right which would really help me make a great meal for the people that I was going to be cooking for. And, you know, it kind of like hit me. I said, I bet there's a lot of home chefs that are in the same boat that I am. And really, they don't really know what ingredients are truly great and which are sort of inferior, substandard. You know, I decided, well, you know, I'm going to start doing a blog um, and I'll, I'll test all these. I'll buy, you know, a bunch of them. I'll taste through them and I'll share my kind of observations and learnings from doing a deep dive into different food categories. Then I, I realized as I started diving into these, some of the, the most delicious foods tend to be made by artisans and they're made in very small quantities. And it wasn't something that if I wrote a blog about it, people would be able to get. And so that kind of led me to, I needed to somehow tie the work I was doing, tasting things and finding these exceptional foods with a way for people to to get them and also taste them. So, uh, it's been a little over two years ago that we started YummyArtisanFoods.com. Uh, it's really focuses often on small, small producers. You know, you take a, a typical chocolate maker, they may make from a bag of beans, 300 bars, they're small bean-to-bar type products. And some of the smallest ones, they may only do a couple bags a month. 
So you're really talking about very, very small quantities. It's really hard for them often when they're starting out to get known in in the industry. It's it's almost like they don't rise above the noise of the big guys. And so You help them with that. Yeah, it's exactly. It becomes something where finding these guys is kind of my own personal sort of aha. I found someone who's amazing and they're so passionate about what they're doing and then trying to share that with a community of people who are starting to taste what I taste and if their palates are aligned and they see the quality that I see, they're willing to uh, pay sometimes a little extra to buy an artisan product. Do you have other people so that helps you taste or influence your purchases? Oh, you know, I'm always looking for for feedback. So as I acquire new products, I always have a sort of a, a bunch of people that I've met over time that I'll test things with. In the end, it's really our palate saying we think these are exceptional. We we usually start um, as a way to 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 figure out what we're going to offer is we look for products that really truly are artisan made. But by that I mean the, the person who makes them is the person that that we're dealing with. And they how do you, how do you find those people? The way I, I decided we would do it early on is uh, we look for people who are submitting their foods to to competitions like the Good Food Awards, which is by nature and definition artisans. Um, also, things like the olive oil competitions, the chocolate competitions, even the honey competitions. So these are all, just by their nature, uh, artisan competitions. So you you start there, and then I look for ones that have won awards, and then we'll 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 taste those. And then the ones that we think are the best of the ones that we've seen or tasted from those awards are, are ones that we'll select. So have you tasted any that were winners, but you really didn't prefer? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, quite honestly, there's, even though they've won an award doesn't mean that we will select them. It, it really has to be something we th- think is the best of a type of chocolate or a type of olive oil out there. And so, you know, a typical competition like the New York International Olive Oil Competition, they may give something like 15% of the participants a gold medal. That's still, if they have a thousand or more entries, that still could be a lot of oils. So I would say everything on our site we're very passionate, enthusiastic about, but we taste through dozens of samples before we pick maybe one that we're going to decide to add. Have you brought in a product that you just absolutely were passionate about, but wasn't a big hit with people that maybe something that you were surprised by? Yeah. They're like, why don't they get it? Yeah. Well, I think there's some, uh, I would call learning that goes on. I mean, even if you take, Something like olive oil or chocolate, you know, where we have chocoholics, right? You know, there's a lot of people passionate about chocolate. Um, I'm raising my Yeah, hand. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but one of the things is, is that, you know, there's certain nuances that come in a field as you get people who really take the time to source the best quality beans and then they figure out methods for processing I use the wine industry. 50 years ago, um, a lot of Americans didn't know about the difference between the different kinds of wines out there. People thought, well, they're all the same. But, the, you know, we've learned that they're very different. The same thing people are learning about 
many of these foods that when they're handled by an artisan who knows what they're doing and processed in a way that lets out the unique flavors and aromas of those, you can come out with some truly delicious products that are ingredients to the foods that you're making. So you sometimes you meet with these makers, you go to these vineyards. Do you see yourself ever becoming a producer from what you've seen? Like, oh, oh that's, that's, that's such a great idea. Or I have an idea. I want to try making this. You know, it's, it's uh, enticing sometimes. Um, but I think right now I'm, I'm better served because partly my background is in the area of sales and marketing. You know, I feel there's a, there's an opportunity to help some of these wonderful producers get found. Yeah, your connector. Yeah, that that to me feels like it. It's a real value add. You know, much of of what happens with these producers and take a category like uh, preserves. There's a huge difference in the preserve field if you're making. Um, jams in a, a thousand gallon kettle than if you're making it in a, in a four gallon. That, you know, the ability to control heat to make sure you preserve the flavors, your ability to access really fresh fruit that's vine ripened and at the peak of its flavorness is something that a small producer can capture and really capture that essence of summer. So you're an appreciator of that I and am, an admirer of that, but not, you don't want to necessarily go out and pick the fruit. And put them in a kettle and... Well, I, I actually have hobbies where I do that, but I realized partly because of my hobbies, it is really hard work to do those <laughs> things. The people who make products, they work so hard and I think they don't really get the kind of appreciation they deserve for the wonderful creations they make. Amen. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> true. I mean, you see the, the long hours and... They're always trying to keep their costs low but so that more people can taste their, their creations. And, you know, in the end, because of, you know, you take a chocolate product, you know, the floor is often set by these very, very automated large producers. You know, they can make a Hershey's chocolate bar, you know, for very little um, because of the, the way they do it and economies of scales and, and how they squeeze their, their growers. Um, and... You know, the people who are trying to go for the best flavor, the most delicious, you know, they're willing to pay these small farmers of chocolate beans a fair price. And they don't want them to go out of business because they know that the, the chocolate beans that they make are special and they want to keep them in the, the business and help their families see a way to stay in it themselves. I've noticed for the past all this time that you've had chocolate bars laid out here. <laughs> I did. And in fact, I thought, you know, it would be fun for you guys to actually taste some of the differences, you know, the variety of things that people are doing. Uh, we have a milk chocolate, but it's something a little unique. It's made instead of with cow's milk, it's made with coconut milk. You'll get a chance to see a little bit of the... of how that can change something. I've got a dark chocolate from Taz. Uh, this particular one is known for its mouthfeel. Um, they typically do what I call more of a Mexican style mouthfeel. And then uh, I've got two others that are uh, in the 67 to 70% range um, that are both from Peru. 
And I wanted to give you a chance to taste how a Peruvian chocolate from a, a small uh, designation, how they can have some quite different flavors and tastes. If you want to take a chance, we can maybe uh, have you guys taste it. And maybe you can also see if sure. you know what yeah. you're seeing versus what the producer is describing. Where should we start? Let's start with the milk chocolate. Okay. Even though it's got more sugar in it, I think it's, it's uh, as you move to the darker chocolates, they can uh, affect your palates in different ways. So, okay. Okay. This one is from Charm School Chocolate. He's using Maya Mountain Cacao, which comes from Belize um, in South America. Why don't you guys go ahead and take a sample? Okay. I will. And so it says on here 49% cacao. Right. Usually, when they take the percentage of chocolate in it, they're talking about the cocoa butter and the cocoa solids. The other ingredients in a case of a milk chocolate is going to be the sugar and the milk that's used. So when you have a dark chocolate where there's no milk added, it's just going to be a 70% chocolate is going to be 70% cocoa butter and cocoa mass. And the 30% is going to be sugar. And, you know, a milk um, that's a high quality milk will often be in the 40 to low 50s percentage of chocolate. And so the higher percentage of chocolate, the less sugar typically that you're going to have. But it has nothing to do with flavor. No, absolutely not. You can have beautiful milks um, as you'll get a chance to, to try this one. And then, uh, you know, in the dark chocolate, certainly because of the the uh, the tannicness and some of the bitterness inherent in the cocoa bean, uh, even after it's been roasted and and gone through the the conching process, you still um, you know sugar can help hide a lot of defects. The lower the sugar ratio, the more important it is to have a really good source of beans. You can hide a lot of defects with sugar. And also, what I've also heard is roasting it. I mean, the time of roasting and all that. So a 70% dark chocolate is not the same across the board, depending on how they've roasted it, how long they've roasted it. And mm -hmm. You're exactly right. And there's a lot of um, steps in the process, which the end individual artisan, I mean, clearly it helps to start with a good cocoa bean source, knowing your producer, how they made it. But even within there, once you start taking a 70% chocolate, the producer's or they make her the chocolate, if they're adding um, more cocoa butter or less, um, that's a style. That's not a, a cost-cutting method. One gives you a different mouthfeel, a creamier mouthfeel, uh, the more butter you use. But using more cocoa mass may give you a more chocolate aroma. Typically, the Europeans are known for emphasizing more mouthfeel for creaminess, and American producers now tend to go for a little more full flavor. And so you'll get probably more cocoa mass in the, the American styles. But, you know, the Europeans are being influenced by the Americans in, in this area as well. Also, the amount of time that you, um, you're going through the, the conching, you know, incorporates air and that can stimulate flavor. But if you overconch it, you can, you can actually add um, aromas and flavors that are off. That's one of the, the, artisan type of elements, you know, what's the right amount? You know, is it 12 hours? Is it 48 hours? How much heat is added when we're doing that? Because heat is typically added through that mixing, which can also destroy aromas. So, um, we talked about the milk. 
Now, typically start yep by smelling it. That's too late. <laughs> go ahead, pick another sample. Yeah, I'll smell. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So that's one of the things that the people, when the first time they haven't really thought of these as being sort of something that uh, you want to really look for the aroma. They don't take the time to actually smell them. And that's probably half of the beauty of some of these good chocolates is the aroma that you get from smelling it. This is the really interesting one because it's coconut milk. It is, which uh, I thought would be kind of wild to kind of for you to see something. Now, this would be put in the vegan category because it's it's uh, doesn't have any animal products in it. And so I think it's kind of neat for people who maybe don't like the dark chocolates. Um Maybe like the milks, but they don't want to have, you know, cow's milk in their in their diet. Mm-hmm. Is this typical of a vegan chocolate, that, that flavor? Well, um, I would say this is typical of a coconut milk chocolate. Okay. I wouldn't say all vegan chocolates because, you know, these are vegan as well because they have. Oh, no milk. Yeah, these, oh, yeah. Uh, the dark chocolates have no, no milk in them. Right. So. You know, all of the the ones that are seventy percent and higher, I think all the rest of these chocolates we're going to have would all be vegan as well, since there's just sugar and chocolate in them. Interesting. I don't. I that is not one of my favorite ones, just no. because of the coconut milk. Um, there's something that undertone of it. It's kind of hard for me because I'm not the biggest white milk chocolate fan. Mm-hmm. She's a dark chocolate fan. So. Well, and I I think that's one of the things you people start to realize when they taste these is that they typically have a strong preference. They either like the really dark chocolate or they like um, more milk style. And then, then you have to like think about sort of what other criteria are you thinking about? Are you vegan? Which case maybe this would be something to try. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go ahead and try the two different Peruvian chocolates. They're both um, in a similar range. The, the one from Patrick, he calls his, his Pura Peru, 67%. Um, again, you want to start by, I usually take a, a piece and I would break it. Because when you break it, you release a lot of the aroma. Well, also you hear a snap. Yeah, and you hear a snap. The snap is typically indicative of the, how much chocolate's in it. So anything in a 70%, typically you're going to hear or feel a snap to it. And then when you smell it and you release those aromas, you should start to get sort of what are the dominant aromas and characteristics. Now, I brought along Patrick just because he is um, in the world of bean to bar chocolates. He's considered one of the seasoned veterans. He was one of the people that kind of started the U.S. movement. And uh, he's won, I don't know, uh, a good food awards every year that they've done them. He's trained a lot of the up and coming producers and he's considered i think one of the even though he's not that old <laughs> you know the fact that he's been doing it for almost 20 years is is considered one of the the early people in this field which tells you it's not been around the artisan bean to bar movement now on the front of it he um i think has his descriptor of what aromas he saw in that yeah it actually says the uh, the tasting notes is ruby grapefruit Toasted almonds, sun-dried wine grapes, and I actually do taste those notes. It's delicious. So maybe I am a dark chocolate fan as well. Yeah. Well, and so that's, as you were describing that, that's the thing that folks typically would say, you know, they think of chocolate as being, well, it tastes like chocolate. But the fact that it has those 
unique aromas and flavors is some of the distinctive differences. Um, in this particular one, the fact that you you can get some toasted almonds, but there's no almonds in here. You know, it's just pure uh, cocoa. You know, tells you that when treated in sort of a minimalistic way with not a lot of heat, you can release some of the aromas of those particular beans. Where if you compare that to this uh, effort by Carol Morris, Carol Morris is has a chocolate company called Akali. And uh, this particular one is also from Peru. Peru. She's a producer out of uh, Louisiana, but her beans are from Peru. Right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, oh, being the bar in New Orleans, actually. She's right. Yeah, and she's kind of interesting in that she is very focused on a, a relationship with just a couple different growers. So she really tries to, you know, whenever she adds another chocolate, that she only makes that chocolate um, serve her focus. So you can see some of the differences. Now, she would describe hers as having more fruit flavors than Patrick did. I'm not getting that. I'm not getting that either. Interesting. I find Patrick's one has way more mm-hmm. fruitiness to it, and this one has much more of a nuttiness to it on the back end. Mm-hmm. It's a delicious chocolate. I mean, mm-hmm. and this is actually a higher percentage than Patrick's one, is it not? It is. It's 70 but, versus 67. But it's very close. And so I would kind of put them in the same. They're close enough that you wouldn't, you wouldn't differentiate them. But definitely different mm-hmm. flavors. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, the one of the, the characteristics like a bit of vanilla, I think certainly you would get in in there in the mouth, which is a, a very distinctive way of describing um, something that has a lot of cocoa flavor, natural vanilla type element. And there's no vanilla added to this. So if you look at the ingredient list, it's not an added ingredient. It comes from the way it's prepared. And then we have one final one, the Taz chocolate. So if I could get you I love guys that to company. They're they're actually out of uh, Massachusetts, uh, Somerville, I believe. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, this one is a slightly higher percentage. This one is in the 80%. So it's going to have much less sugar. But it's also the the way it's prepared. I mentioned it uses almost a Mexican style. Stone ground. Mhm. Mhm. I mean, that's one thing unique when I when I for this uh, discovered Taz was just they used to make their so the one you brought in is actual bar shape but I remember they always sold them in like the round Mexican chocolate shapes kind of the round disc shapes and so you would um, split it up and get wedges out of that and they're very very um, gritty mm-hmm. it's, you know what people would mm-hmm. describe it I mean this bar is way less gritty than the the, the round ones are Right, but compared to the the previous three, which are you would almost call sort of melt in your mouth, this one you definitely can feel a bit of the the cocoa particles in there, Mm -hmm. which you know creates a whole different mouthfeel and is part of sort of a a type and style. They're going for that mouthfeel, which is original Mm -hmm. to use those grinders that are made of stone. Yeah, absolutely. Using sort of the the stone ground method, it, it really is. You're not and you're not going to be grinding it for the same amount of time, so much less time in the in the conch to get that. So, uh, so anyway, yeah. So, and that's just sort of a hint of the the variations and and the differences. And that's without doing inclusions of any kind or any other types of flavoring, which add, you know it's a wholly different type of chocolate. Um, almost all these producers 
do have versions where they're they're kind of not delving into confections, but you could think of them more as a confection. Uh, and a good example, I think, of one that kind of starts to move that direction is is a, a brown butter bar, which when people taste it, because of the the butter that's been browned and added an additional flavor, it almost makes you think of chocolate chip cookies mm-hmm. as a way of kind of moving in a different direction. Um, so it kind of you can see how some of these you can you can go from sort of the you know, a strong base of wonderful aromas and flavors to something different. Now, I think one of the cool things I, I recommend for people, and I, I do offer some collections on my site, I, am, I think, you know, people do wine tastings. I think chocolate could be a wonderful way to share with friends, whether you did it blind or whether you did it when they knew what it was. You know, it's moving away from the idea that, you know, I, I buy a bar and I'm going to eat it in one sitting to the idea of I'm going to buy it and I'm going to try one square, you know, and have it over several days or have a one where I share it, um, several bars with friends and we have that as our dessert, you know, a way to, to move to a different kind of event where the food becomes something you, you can both talk about and share while you're having other conversations. You know, for people who've ever done a wine tasting with friends, you know, that this would be a natural kind of extension moving to a whole different category to for, find out what people like, you know, start with some really good product and then add that to a way to have dessert with friends and then uh, talk about what they love. Um, you know, just like today, I'm going to let you guys figure out which one you like <laughs> best and you guys can take these bars with you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. getting back to a little bit about your business, where do you see yourself in like five years? Do you see potentially even opening up a brick and mortar store or do you want to stay online or? Well, so I think the near term vision for us would be as we get more customers and more people trying things, we'd like to kind of move into to more categories. Right now, we're very focused on products that have a medium term shelf life. You know, a typical extra virgin olive oil probably has mm, a year to two years of shelf life. Chocolates, similar. But if you look through our categories, so there are things that we're not talking about, you know, like coffee, for example, you know, ro- fresh roast coffee beans. You want them, you know, if you could get them the same day they're roasted, that would be ideal. And if we can then offer to people things that have shorter shelf lives for freshness, then I think we'd want to expand into categories where we can bring in fresher items, local type products, um, which add that freshness to it. Is Yummy just you right now? Well, it's a, a partnership with David Priestley. David's, David's my son. You know, we're partners in this. Dave is, you know, certainly has energy and enthusiasm and brings sort of a, a young palate and a different palate than mine. And his day job is as a, a financial controller for a Silicon Valley firm. Oh, so. so does he kind of handle that, the financial? On, he is. That's actually one of his, his expertise is handling a lot of the financial elements. And I am, right now I do a lot of the tasting and product selection and then operational management as we're, we're trying to keep our overhead low. Would you have started this business without your son? 
You know, I um, I I find I work best in a collaborative environment. I need to have ideas. A lot of my ideas are harebrained, and I need someone to bounce them off of. I think without that, I think I also get energy from people. You know how how some people um, they get energy from uh, you know they need to to kind of get off in a library by themselves and and kind of think deep thoughts. I get more energy by hanging out with people and bouncing ideas off of them and and seeing their reaction to a food it just it stimulates my creativity so personally it's it's crucial to have those kind of interactions to have a partnership yeah absolutely yeah so mark what have you learned since you started your business well i i i believe uh one of the lessons is things always take longer than you hope whether you're adding a new food category for me or um, trying to find stellar examples, it's it's just things take time, and you, you can't rush them. You got to really make sure you do all the due diligence. Anytime I enter a new product category, I like to do a deep dive to learn more about the field. And there's just sometimes you often when you're on the outside looking in, you think. What's there to know about chocolate? You know, chocolate's pretty simple. I've had Hershey's. I know what it's all about. And then you start to realize that it's so complicated. They have both the sourcing the beans and the different origins taste and what producers do and cost structure. And So th- does that make it more difficult then if you to takes it longer for you to pick out a producer to I think uh, I think that was one of the, the learnings is I thought I'd be able to add a new category every month or two and I'm realizing is that it's important to get really good and go really deep on the ones I have and anytime you add a new category it's a category because it is a specialty unto itself people who are in it have become masters of those fields by doing it for a long time. And for someone to come from outside of it in, to think you could do it in a month or two and really understand it at a a depth, I didn't realize probably how much energy and time it would take. So educating yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And and so as I add on new categories, I I have to realize it's going to take more energy to really add value, you know, have an educated opinion about them and to really find the best ones. Um, I don't want to shortchange people, right? Just pick anything. I really want to make sure that when we add something that it truly is representative of the best that they could get. Okay, excellent. And good way to end it. Yeah. So I guess tell us where we can find you. Best place is our store online, which is at www.yummyartisanfoods.com. So thank you, Mark Priestley of Yummy Artisan Foods. We appreciate your time and bringing samples for us to taste too. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, well, thank you guys. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to Let Us Wrap with Christine and Tammy. Thank you to our engineer and producer, Jason Anthony Guy. Please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. If you have any feedback or suggestions, please tweet us at lettucewrappod or email us at lettucewrappod at gmail.com. Take it away, Mark. Until next time, it's a wrap.